Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's exceptional Inspiring Leadership podcast, where you've got two middle-aged men in Lycra. Here we are in our in our ride for Beautiful. Unity Tops with uh, Daniel, the man who uh, made it all happen with pulling together an amazing team of people. And uh, as Sun Tzu said, uh, the greatest leader that people said, we did it ourselves. And he was one of those lovely people who uh, made himself invisible. He was so important, he was invisible, but he was so important, he was visible. And uh, pulled together an amazing team, particularly with Sarah and Leah, who we've had both of them on the podcast already. So Daniel, uh, welcome. You're an entrepreneur. You um, have had many successful businesses. You invest in many successful business, one or two that maybe haven't worked, but we all learn from those, don't we? We, <laughs> we can't be always, always doing uh, success. We have to learn from some of our uh, disappointments and setbacks. Wasn't it Mandela who said, I either succeed or I learn something. And I think you're always open to learning. Um, I've had the pleasure of knowing you for a number of years now. I was looking back at some of our coaching sessions and it's been an absolute pleasure seeing your journey from already being outstanding to being exceptional in the way you make a contribution. And Ride for Unity is one of those. So, Daniel, welcome. Great to have you on the Inspiring Leadership podcast again. Thank you, Jonathan. What a, I mean, it's just such a joy to, first of all, any time to speak to you, you know, we've become good friends and uh, you're a mentor for me as well. And just any time to talk to you is, is blessed and to be invited on the podcast again is just a, a privilege. So thank you very much. Well, it's great. So let's let's talk about the fact that you and I and 20 riders and a support team of about 10 um, were for seven days in seven Emirates and a bit more at the uh, at either end doing this exceptional Ride for Unity. Tell everybody who's listening who's not heard about it, what was Ride for Unity all about and what made you have this idea of doing this? So Ride for Unity, I think it it's based on the idea of bringing people together at the human level and seeing people for who they are. And I thought, okay, if we can get exceptional people, people who are leaders in their field, whether they're uh, business leaders or uh, sports leaders or someone who, you know, people who really are an example to others and anchor them around specific values, uh, which are all based around humanity. And the values which we defined for ourselves very early on were diversity, tolerance, inclusion, and sustainability. But sustainability at the human level, rather than thinking about climate change or something like that. And um, and we we managed to somehow get together a group of people who are living expressions of those values in their own right. They uh, live those values. They, um, I can use the word preach, but it's the wrong sort of word. They just show those values as an example to others. And are, and that's what makes them great leaders. And so we managed to get all these people together and cycle around the, the Emirates and not uh, just cycling around. The cycling was just an excuse. What we really wanted to do was to have many, many events and stops where we give lectures, panel discussions, workshops uh, to help explain those values and how to apply them in your everyday life you know these are the sort of values that people often just give lip service to hey diversity isn't it great well why how do we actually use that to make our lives better and that was the goal um and to do it in a place which really embraced those values anyway in the united arab emirates for me having visited many many times is is a country which i am in awe of to be honest um uh, being a very strong muslim country loyal to their muslim faith and at the same time uh, embracing and opening their doors to absolutely everyone. And so for me, the UAE was the natural home for such an event. And we said, let's give it a go. 
And honestly, it was beyond my wildest expectations. And I have, you know me, I have very high expectations for stuff that we do. Um, but uh, this was really fantastic. And I felt that we made a significant impact on certain people's lives, including our own, as we did it. Yeah. And, and you did. It's, it's a great skill of any leader to find talented people, men and women who are two inches taller than us. Uh, and so that you never have to work a day in your life because you've got this army of giants rather than uh, there's some small people, literally me metaphorically and mentally small people who always want to be the smartest person in the room, the biggest person in the room. It's all about them. Um, but actually, then they drown out all the others. And, and when they're not there, then the whole thing falls apart. But what worked so well, I found as someone who has studied for 62 years you know what makes exceptional leaders and teams is is that it, it all worked in if each of the people would think for themselves what's needed now what would daniel want what, what would the team need and they would just step forward and do it without being prompted without it was almost like a whole load of autonomous highly talented individuals with the values of diversity equality sustainability and inclusion but with this common calling of, of the difference that we wanted to make in a world that's got so much trouble and strife we were using sports as the sort of the mission the vehicle to bond us all together and i remember particularly when we we're out in the middle of the desert at one of the stops with the the wonderful uh plastic uh, sheeted mattresses and uh <laughs> the base living that we had there which was great because then you in the next day you had a lovely hotel which was superb in the comparison is reminds me as a young officer that uh, the commandant said to us as we were young 18 year olds gentlemen you'll never be rich men but you will live the lives of rich men there will be moments when you'll be in a dirty muddy trench side by side with your soldiers wet cold and shivering and there'll be other moments where you'll be having a fine dinner with silverware and the band playing thinking you're like something from the victorian era and and it was a bit like that there but i, I remember looking down the table when uh, you were laughing at yourself about the way you chop up a certain delicacy. But but there was everybody there. There was people from the Lebanon, from Egypt, from the Emirates, from um, Iran, from Israel, from UK, from America, all different religions, uh, Christian, Jewish, uh, Muslim, whole mix. But we were all like the best of mates. But yet we we didn't know each other three days before then. And, and yet very quickly, with shared hardship, shared objectives, we came together. What, what's your thoughts? How did that happen? Well, I think you said it. It's when you can, you know, people need to anchor around something. Let's, let's take a start with that. And I've seen, let's talk about business for a second. In businesses, I've seen so many businesses fail where they get unbelievable individuals who are super talented, but they are not able to anchor those people around something. And in a business, it should normally be the vision and often a combination of vision and values. And so you bring people in and people don't actually understand really why they're there. They understand that they've got to build a certain piece of tech, for example, or whatever, but they're not anchored around something. And when you're anchored strongly around something, and especially when it's emotional, that's when you pick up the reins. And maybe I've been blessed um, to not, know, not have all the answers so that I just throw it out there and make sure people are there to anchor around those visions. And then everyone can actually pick up the reins where they see fit. And that's exactly what happened uh, in seven days, seven Emirates is that, um, you know, I, I haven't got all the answers, but I, I feel like we opened the door 
to people uh, expressing their own uh, capabilities and their own um, sense of good worth, if you like, to help one another through everything. And that was the big success from my point of view. Um, but it only happens when people can anchor and connect through a joint goal. And you're so right. And and I think what is lovely is that you had deliberately chosen um, people who had real humility. So we had, you know, people with royal blood from Iran. We had a member of the royal family from the Emirates, but they didn't want to be promoted about that. It, it wasn't, you know, please don't call me that, you know, just just I'm just this. And um and also, you know, whether it be a Harlem Globetrotter like Herb or someone like Justin, who'd cycled 3,000 miles at raising 200,000 pounds across America on a, a hand bike because he was he was paralyzed. Or, or Carlo, who was uh, a, a character and a colonel from Italy, who luckily you spoke such fluent Italian. I mean, you're a man of many parts. So there was a lovely part. I remember by the campfire in the middle of uh, the deserts in this full Arab experience, complete with camels and uh, blowing desert and us staying in tents and things where uh, he was very eloquent. Uh, but got a little bit carried away with the moment with his Italian passion. And he was speaking at Relays and you were translating. And uh, and it was about 15 minutes he was speaking for. And, and you went, he says, yes. <laughs> it just made, we all roar with laughter. But, but think of the, um, you know, one or two of the, I often ask leaders like you who are on these uh, Inspiring Leadership podcasts um, for, a couple of examples of inspire leaders that you know, they're normally other CEOs or other leaders, but I, I just want you to look into the group that you selected, pick out just a few random people from the group, because almost everyone has uh, something um, to learn, you know, even a couple of people who had something to learn how not to behave. Um, but um, everybody we has have something. Occasionally. We all have yeah. that. Yeah, we do. We do. <laughs> but, but, what what made certain people inspiring leaders to you and what were their qualities that you know an example of of how they behaved you know, to, to make it real um i mean there are so many and okay, okay so one jumps into my mind immediately um so you know as much as we worked hard to prepare the logistics for this crazy seven days where we had not only the cycling but also uh 12 events in seven days i mean it was insane when you think about it i felt like i was running boot camp for all these people for a while you know it was it was crazy we get changed into the lecture back into your cycling gear off we go you know it was it was crazy um and i was happy that no one deserted us after about three four days so this is this is mental um but with all the preparation that we had we were obviously going to miss a few things and looking back on it, one of the ridiculous things we missed uh, was we didn't tell our logistics team, the, the team that were basically with the safety cars, that, that team, that there was a hand cycle. And a hand cycle is a completely different thing. You know, it requires a different preparation. Um, and, you know, Justin, because he's paralyzed, he he's cycles in a hand cycle, he cycles amazingly, but it requires something different. And every time Justin came across a speed bump, a big one, he actually had to be lifted over the speed bump by someone. Um, and so that was, um, you know, we weren't prepared for that. And Jimmy, who is a guy I've just fallen in love with, you know, um, what an amazing guy, Jimmy Ibrahim, uh, we're now great friends. You know, he, he just took it on himself that he was going to be the one to race forward when he saw a speed bump or heard from the safety car that there's a speed bump, he'll race forward, wait for Justin, lift him over the speed bump so that we wouldn't have to wait. And it just became his job, not because someone told him to do it, just because he said, 
I'm going to do that. Um, and it was just, it's just one example of what you said. You know, no one told him, we didn't prepare, we had no idea. And all of a sudden Jimmy took it on and, and it made it even more beautiful because then you've got someone giving from himself uh, to help some, another member of the team and everyone else looking on and learning from that as well. That's something that stuck in my mind. I can still see it, you know, as he paces forward and, and gets ready to, to lift uh, Justin over the speed bump. That was a beautiful thing. And there are probably so many examples, you know, it's, it's almost unfair to single out one, but I don't know why that one stayed in my mind. And, and give us another example as well, because there's a couple more people you could mention. Um, okay, so, I mean, there's, there's loads, there really are. Um, uh, Carlo. Okay, so Carlo Calcagni, who is a, a, an unbelievably unique character, um, a, a national hero in Italy, really, and just because of the way Italy is, which is quite isolated by language, outside of Italy, um, not that many people will have heard of Carlo within Italy. He's, he's a national hero, you know, been through the military, very uh, uh, decorated officer. And he suffers from a number of ailments because of his experiences in, in war. And he has become just an inspiring person because he overcomes almost anything. He carries 30 kilos of oxygen on his tricycle to enable him to live, not just to cycle. And then he cycles about three times as much as any of us anyway. Um, I remember at the Ajman Charity School that we visited, uh, we had a whole schedule of activities for the children, uh, playing basketball with them, playing football. Uh, Faisal and Fatima were going to be uh, giving them talks. And I hadn't scheduled anything for Carlo. And Carlo is not used to not being in the center of attention. And he sort of sat on the side and sort of waiting to do something. He wasn't happy to just sit on the side. He just sat on the side. And I remember, I think it was Sarah came up to me and goes, think about Carlo for a second. So I was like, Oh, okay. And in the whole chaos of it all, I remember saying, okay, the kids are now, we've got time. Let them have a five minute talk with Carlo, which is a crazy thing to think it's just going to be five minutes. And uh, every time we had a session with the kids and we had five of these, uh, we'd send the kids at the end of their basketball and football uh, antics to go and chat to Carlo. Now, Carlo speaks Italian, so he needed a translator into Arabic. And there was a lovely Lebanese woman there, uh, Thuraya, who was really helping out. And, and it just become one of the most wonderful things as if it's like perfectly prepared beforehand. And he then cycled the kids around with just this glee on his face that was mirrored in the, the children's faces and the kids running after his tricycle, like something out of the movies. And just his ability to go from just sitting on the side, not really knowing how he's involved in this event to being a main attraction there, he felt so fulfilled. And then that of course, was reflected in the the joy that he gave to the children. That was a lovely one as well. Yeah, it was. And and I think the, another nice thing that you did, um, uh, 20 people was a, a really good number for the, the sort of cyclists, the business people who'd, cyclists who'd also give lectures or speak or panels. And you ran some really great panels. You, you were a very good facilitator, I must say, to bringing people in. Uh, and and a, a, a TEDx style uh, speech, which I think we need to record and uh, and and get you on uh, on TED for that one, I think. Um, but uh, with all that collection of people, what was also nice was you had about four occasions where you had it open to the public. Not only do we have, I mean, particularly in Russell Cayman, uh, Kaima, um, where there was almost like more police cars than there were cyclists. Uh, we were everywhere blocking off the roads and we felt like we were the raw family cycling gently through the middle of the towns. But um, I know a lot of the public cyclists enjoyed joining in. Or just say a bit about, about the, some of the people you met through that, really. 
So, yeah, there were a couple of people who I'd known before, actually, who were just happy to tag along and enjoy. And they, I think they believed, and also I believe, that they were just coming along for a bit of a cycle. But of course, it became more than that. Um, they got to know people. And then they said, hang on, I want to join the cycle on Tuesday as well. And and then they came again because it became more than the cycling for them as well, which was something I don't think I um, had considered before. I knew it was going to be much more for the, uh, than the cycling for all of us as the core team, but I didn't understand that that effect was going to be echoed to the people who joined from the public. And, and it certainly was. And there were people that Leah knew or I knew or people that none of us knew. And all of a sudden you're, you're discovering a, a new person and each person, as you know, Jonathan, is a whole world in themselves. You know, they, they have a business or they, they um, emigrated to the UAE and they have a new life there and, and you learn about people and all of a sudden you're enriched by their presence as well. And yeah, I made a couple of new friends from these public riders that joined us uh, who have made my life that much better as well. And so it's because it becomes more than the cycling. I think that's what it, the, even the public riders, they just joined something and then they wanted to stay. You know, we had a logistical setup where they were going to be taken back to their cars and they were like, well, hang on, can I just stay for this event? And we're like, okay, we'll sort it out. You know, the, that happened at the mangroves. The people who joined for that public ride this wanted to stay for the mangrove plantation. And we're not going to say no, are we? So we just worked it out on the fly, how to allow them to join in that activity which was a great one, um, you know, planting mangroves and understanding the significance of mangroves for the climate. And then we managed to get them back somehow, even though it was all a bit crazy, but it, it works in the end. But when you want to, it works. Yeah, so, I, I think, and I think you've, you've lit the interest in so many people. And now you've got a model that you can show people. Uh, so for example, uh, as a, an afterthought, if, if you and Leah can find a, a good clip in Arabic, probably with Faisal uh, speaking. I'll send that on to General Prince Talib, who was the major general in charge of the police in Rasul Cayman before, but um, he was unwell this time around. But I think if he sees a clip of what it was with someone speaking in Arabic, who's a, uh, a, another person he'd admire, I think we might next time around get him get him involved because he's quite a character. Um, but yeah, you, you really touched the lives of so so many people, but let's take it back to um, day to day in the work you do around the world with sports. Sports is your sort of focus. And I mean, just tell us a little bit about the the other businesses that you, you're you an entrepreneur in. Well, I mean, the uh, it's uh, an evolving feast, of course. Uh, I've been very lucky to be involved in the sports industry for now 25 years. Um, started in broadcast, uh, moving into sports data and analytics, had a uh, led a big business in the sports betting field as well. And, and for the last three, almost four years now, I've been investing in sports technology companies, which has really widened my view of the, the whole sports industry. Um, and I'm still, you know, so I wear the hat of an investor. I'm very much an entrepreneur at heart. I like to you know, create something, especially something from nothing. Ride for Unity was almost one of those things and, and build a team around it and see what happens. Um, so, you know, that's that's who I am really in my, uh, in my spirit. Um, and I think that's that's how people see me as well. So anything sports related, they might introduce me to people and say, oh, someone's looking to get involved in, it happened to me yesterday. Someone's looking to get involved in the leisure industry in the Middle East. Now the leisure industry is not an area that I really understand, but people immediately think, oh, Daniel will probably know something about that in, in the Middle East. And whether that's true or not, we find out. But um, what's almost always the case is that I can at least introduce them to people who could be very, very relevant for them. And that's a joy of mine as well, is making sure that I can introduce people to to relevant other persons to help them in their in their journey. 
Um, so it's all about sport at the anchor. But like we said before, it's not actually about the sport. The sport is is that material thing that brings people together and and, and sort of gives something a label. But what I've noticed with myself is it's all about the people on top of that. So the, so the sport is the thing that magnetizes everything to everyone to things that I do sometimes and sometimes not. But then it becomes about the people and how we can actually um, create a wider impact through that. And so that doesn't always have to have to be through a social impact uh, uh, initiative or a philanthropic initiative. It can also be through an, um, a startup or something trying to improve people's lives through some new technology. And sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. You know, that's the way it is. But, you know, that's the way it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. That, and, 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 and you've triggered in me, actually, this that you are uh, exceptionally good at being genuinely interested in people, finding out about them, uh, and then seeing how you can he help A and B. So it's a win-win for both. Um, yeah. And and you feel good that you've helped improve uh Things they are. I mean, I think among your many successes in your life, um, I do think the ride for unity uh, when you're croaking on your last day will go. That's something I'm genuinely really proud of. Not only that, but what was lovely is um, uh, Rako, your wife, had to stay behind and, and hold the fort because she has a very busy job. But but you had all three of your children and your mum manage yeah. at different <laughs> stages to come out there. So we saw the whole the whole clan, which was lovely, and everybody threw themselves into it, and also gained uh, hugely from it and we did in in seeing all aspects of you but i do think it's interesting clearly I, i've always been interested particularly with dyslexia and dyscalculia as as my um challenges but actually they are my superpowers in some ways because my mother said okay you may you know struggle with spelling i couldn't spell to help me um uh, and and maths but you're going to be good with people so there's this like i'm going to be good with people so so in some ways embedded in there is that i genuinely i'm interested in people and their stories hence in doing this podcast which i uh, it's my give back i do it for free it's my my way of uh paying back to, to a society from leaders like you and others that have learned something uh, you're gonna i'm sure help educate me how to monetize it one day but i, I will get around to doing that um but um you have this skill in 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 spotting people and based on what they say and how they show up choosing them to be investors with you or uh friends or connectors but then like me occasionally we get stung we we get the wrong person uh, and i have found that this podcast you know over 300 episodes this is about going to be, i think episode 303 um I, I don't really take agencies who say this person's exceptional. Please have them on your podcast. Well, firstly, they're paid to get that person on the podcast. And unless there's someone I've heard of publicly where, you know, uh, for example, you know, Stephen Covey, who was the, the agency approached me and he's a joy and he's become a good friend of mine. And we're going to do more work together because his father's seven habits 50 years ago was seminal for so many people. And now his trust and inspire is, is, is really exciting. So there's one or two exceptions. Um, the CEO of, of uh, EE British Telecom, Mark Lira, was good that way. But others I found a bit disappointing because there's an agenda which is not necessarily based on the fact that they are inspiring people. Whereas when you say to me, this person's inspiring, or we had Brian J. Esposito who said, I tell you who an exciting, uh, exceptional person, it's Daniel Bernard. So, you know, thank you, Brian. Uh, it's it's due to you that, that we did some amazing things together over the last few years. 
But generally, unless I've got to know someone through a recommendation from someone else, this person, this woman is inspiring. You must meet her. Then I have a a warm up with them, get to know them, just check out due diligence. And if I feel it's right, fine. Now I've got the courage that if it's not right, I don't, don't think this is a good fit. Let's not go ahead with it. It's nice to meet you, but it's not a good fit. Um, but the same with choosing people. Sometimes until we see someone and, and we you know, saw one or two people out of a big gang that we had of 30, 35 people, there was about three people who just were massively disappointing because their behavior didn't match their rhetoric. They promised great things and they behaved in ways that didn't fit the values. Uh, what have you learned about that? We don't need to name who the people are, um, but, but what have you learned about that? And I'm sure you've experienced that in, in business and, and other aspects of your life. So I think that you've touched on a couple of really important points. I mean, one of the my golden rules in, in business and in life is that good people lead to good people and bad people lead to bad people. <laughs> when I say bad, just people who might not be aligned with who you are and who you want to be. So if you find people, and just like you said, the same way, if, if you, for example, Jonathan, is a really good friend of mine and a mentor, tell me, Daniel, you've got to talk to this person, then I, I'd run towards it. Um, and, you know, you get to a certain stage in life where everyone's trying to introduce you to various people and you've got to be very careful and very wary. Um, and then there's the other, so just as just dwell on that before I go to the other point, is, uh, you know, you I feel that, one of the things I'm blessed with is a sort of, I don't know how to put it, but a continued naivety about people, which can sound negative. But on the other hand, I love the fact that I'm interested in people for, for people's sake. Um, and I look around the world and everyone is constantly tagging people, as in he comes from this country. I, I sometimes talk to someone, I have a great conversation, I go, oh, I had a great conversation. And they go, hang on, but don't you know he's from XYZ place? I'm like, well, so what? Yeah, I just... It doesn't matter to me. Uh, and I'm just looking at people through a very um, naive or maybe transparent lens about just who they are as people. And I feel that that's natural to me, but I feel like I'm an outlier in that respect. So many people just tag people based on where they're from, their race, their color, their language and whatever. And they just sort of say, oh, that person is X. And I haven't even spoken to them. And I continue to just look at people for people's sake, even though I've gone through, you know, a lot. I'm quite, you know, I've gone through a number of experiences. And what happens in life is experiences can often make you jaded and skeptical about the world and about people. And I feel very delighted that it hasn't yet. And au contraire, I think that I'm even enjoying my ongoing naivety, if you like. Um, but what I'm blessed with as well is a, a good circle of, uh, family and friends who also keep me guarded, um, which is really, really important so that I am protected from, you know, potential wrongness. And yeah. uh, that's well, let, me, let, let me just let me just join you at that stage. And, and I know you've got some more thoughts on this thing. So I think you're exactly right. And I, I would like you to be kind to you. So I, I think naivety has a has some connotations with it about being uh, a little bit stupid and, and gullible. And I think that the better word for you is an openness to experience different people from different backgrounds. And, and you so epitomize that uh, at the table with all this collection of people from all walks of life and all disabilities, didn't matter, all gender, sexual orientation, that's irrelevant to you. It's just, are they interesting people with an interesting story? And do they want to make a real difference? And do they align with what we stand for 
in this ride for unity and making a difference where we can with what we have at the time we have in the world, which is so troubled. Um, I think of the Hoffman Institute program, which is a program which at some stage I think you'd enjoy as well. I think I mentioned this to you before, but now one of my other clients, uh, I've had two clients now and a third client, um, I had the managing director as a guest on the podcast, third client's going in uh, February to go on it, coming from America, going on the program. And I'm going to meet him at the end of it and, and just be with him for the weekend after he's done the program. Reason I mention it is you're there for seven days with 23 other people from all around the world talking about your childhood, your upbringing, and how it's influenced your behavior today and different ways of learning to behave differently whilst understanding what went on in your early childhood. Because we're still very driven by behaviors from when we were 13 and younger. And we don't think we are, but boy, we are. Uh, and, and, and therefore, what was very interesting in the deal, the deal was when you met all these people, you never asked where they're from, what job they did, uh, or really anything about their background. You just wanted to get to know them and chat with them. And, and that was the deal. And, and it was really interesting because we then formed all these friendships uh, from all different races, religions, backgrounds. Uh, and I was paired up with someone and, uh, you know, he had a complex personal story um, and uh, lack of acceptance from his parents of his sexual orientation, things like that. It was all very interesting how you were paired up. But the point was, at the very end, the last day, we, we were allowed to just get to know a bit more about each other. And, and it, like, it, it actually made no difference. He went, oh, OK, you know, so he's a big executive in Google. So what? I didn't know that. It just I met him as he was rather than as you think he should be because or she should be because of something else. And I think that's a, a lovely way to do it. I, I do think what you've done with Ride for Unity has been the highlight of Lee and my life. And I remember one day after a 25, 30 kilometer ride and Lee hadn't done any cycling at all beforehand. She just trained with the world's strongest man who, uh, Zach George, um, or England's strongest man, who's now one of the, in the Gladiators uh, BBC program, watched by 6 million people, he's steel and he's such a lovely man. But she trained a bit with him and she's, she's quite strong, but no cycling at all. And then she did this thing across the desert where she, she rode on the roads 25. And then she'd given the, you'd got her to give a keynote speech uh, at the American embassy in Russell. She was just buzzing. She went, this is one of the best days of my life. And like to see my wife see that it just, you know, <laughs> I'm so grateful to you. And that, that not only did you embrace me, but you included uh, Lee as well. Cause we come as a double act. I'm afraid you don't get one without the other. <laughs> But the two of you, I mean, first of all, you're two outstanding individuals. And then when you bring the two of you together, it's just, it's, you know, it's a beautiful thing. It just spreads the love uh, around everyone. And everyone felt that. It was absolutely fantastic. And for me to hear Lee's comments, knowing that she's, she's not some 22-year-old, you know, kid who hasn't experienced anything. She's had incredible life, incredible experiences. And to say something like this, this is the best day of her life. I remember that first day of cycling or the best week. That's, that's unbelievable. It really is, you know, and, um, I, I, and it's not me. It's because of what we all managed to achieve together uh, that gave a platform for us all to benefit from it and, and hopefully for us to create an impact um, amongst others, which I definitely feel we did. But that that is amazing for me to hear. It really mm -hmm. is. No, it's great. And and 
you are very much someone who's thinking about everybody else, but but I'd love a little bit of a nutshell in about, about five minutes of, of your life story, how you were brought up, the values your parents had maybe, and, and along the way, some of the experiences that have shaped you into the leader and, and the the personality that you are today. Just give us a little bit of a flavor of, of what you learned on the way. So um, I think that one of the key things about me, and like I said, I, I naturally embrace lots of different people. It doesn't you know matter to me. I, I find it fascinating, fun, interesting. I think that's just why it's natural. I didn't have to teach myself is because when you think about who I am and my background, um, my mother was born in uh, India to Iraqi parents. And she then moved to England when she was a teenager. My father was born in London to a Polish father, a Russian mother. Um, I've lived in five different countries. I've worked with many, many more. I've traveled all over the globe. I now live in Israel, married to a woman of Yemenite descent. And I'm like, I'm just walking diversity, basically. Do you know what I mean? It's like, and, and I've had just such um, a privilege to be exposed to so many different types of people, whether it's nationalities or cultures, it doesn't really matter. That for me, understanding there's a different perspective is just normal. And having that as part of my, even before I was born, and then my upbringing, and then further into my own adult life and moving around the world a little bit, um, has probably led me to embrace those values in a natural way, I'll say in business, in life, in everything. Um, I think that that's probably the most, the, the strongest reason for the person I am today. And then when you think from an entrepreneurial level, um, one of the things I think I learned from my mother without her even realizing uh, that she was teaching it to me. And again, I think it because she was an immigrant into the UK, and when, you're an, when you emigrate to a country, when you're new in a place, um, you seem to have a superpower because you're not you're not confined by the way things are done. Do you know what I mean? And I felt that when I lived in different places, you you don't you don't even know what the box is to live in. Do you know what I mean? You're you just new there, so you just act in an open way, and and that's why a lot of immigrants are very successful because they just break the rules without even realizing they're breaking the rules. I'm not saying the rules, but the the norms. You know, they're they're sort of just recommendations. Whereas if you've grown up and lived in one place all your life, you just you sometimes can't help it, but you live in that manner. This is the way it's done. This is the way it's always done. And you continue. Immigrants are not like that. And so my mother, I think, just naturally was always like outside the box with the way she thought, the way she acted, the way she did things. And when I look back at my childhood, I think it was my mother who taught me that the sky is not the limit. You can actually do anything. And I don't think she realized that she was imparting that uh, wisdom onto me at all. Uh, but she did, without a doubt. And it makes me feel that, yeah, okay, this is the way businesses are built. Okay, fine, that's not what you think, but let's try something different because I think it might work this way. You know, sometimes it works, something, sometimes it doesn't, but the the attempt itself teaches you that you can widen the uh, the scope of almost everything. And, and I just want to build on that and, and you can carry on the story, please, uh, afterwards. But um, having... Um... Leah Tedrow on and I didn't realize that her mother was Vietnamese and her father was American they met in the Vietnam War uh she was and then moved to America and lived around so she also as one of the key people as the managing director of a strategic communication business you you brought her in with you and Sarah as the sort of three founders to to make this thing happen but yet for her everything about Ride for Unity also resonated with her life story. And I'm not sure whether it was her or somebody else said, 
there's an awful lot of CEOs who are from immigrant backgrounds. I, I'm thinking about two of the big CEOs that I've got, one in uh, America and one in Germany. Um, both, uh, no, and, and another one on the West Coast of America who's a, a chief technology officer, um, all from Indian backgrounds, but immigrants in those different countries, but hugely successful because they, they'll think differently and also success is important to them. It's almost like to prove that they're good enough in some ways. Like uh, I, I feeling that I was dyslexic and stupid and been told by teachers I was thick and going to become a dustman, that I've had to prove myself to some poor lady who's long buried, who I'm still trying to prove to her that I'm not thick, uh, which is why I became a visiting professor at a business school, because you know, I had to prove I was academically clever enough. But actually, you know, let go of it all. However, it is, it is this need to prove ourselves at the same time as being open to different things and absorbing new things. And you're a lifelong learner. Uh, that's why it's been always been such a joy coaching you because you go okay yeah I haven't heard of that one let me let me go and you're an early adopter let me go and experiment with that I'll go and practice that that uh, particular way of being with people or understanding others or a, a meeting technique um yeah I think I think you're onto something very powerful there so what else has, has shaped you and then we'll we'll move on to a couple of other thoughts um well I mean if we think about so if I think about the entrepreneurial thing coming from my mother, um, I've become quite spiritual in, in my life um, and my ethical code, moral code has become a really, really important part of who I am. And I think for that, I've got a lot to thank my wife for. Mm. We've been together now 25 years, which is unbelievable. We're 24 years married, married shortly this year. Um, so that's a huge chunk of time. It's just gone by in an instant. It's unbelievable. But my wife, Rachel, is, um, uh, I mean, she's been my guide to everything that's just good and right. It's, and that sounds like a huge thing. It is a huge thing. And it's not simple though. You know, we get, especially men, you know, just very generally, you know, we get blinded by things. We get, you know, there's a nice glittery thing over here, shiny thing. Let's go look over there, look over there. And, um, and that's all fine as long as you're sticking with your compass. You know, you talk about this a lot, you know, sticking with your, your moral compass and, and other compasses as well, that you're on the right path in life and not going astray. And I feel that my wife has been um, the key in making sure that I don't fly off into directions that wouldn't suit me and who the man I'm, I want to be. Um, and I couldn't be grateful, you know, enough to her for, for that. Mm -hmm. I think, I think I told you this before that I likened myself to a bit of a helium balloon. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I've got lots of ideas. And I'll fly off in the wind uh, here, there and everywhere. But my wife's holding the string. And so she will let me have as much string as I want, as, as much as I need, until I might be going off in a direction that might be not right for me or for what is correct. And she'll then give a tug. Um, and it's what I need, really. And who knows where I'd be if I didn't have her holding the string, you know, probably flying off into space. <laughs> I'm sure not. But uh, no, and it's lovely to have met her when we came to visit you and you were so kind and we had a lovely meal together. Um, so let's have a look. It's interesting. So you've covered already what I was going to ask about the moral question, you know, your values. And, and, and that's where I think, back to your point around uh, having anchoring people around something with a clear vision and clear values. And that's why I think the Ride for Unity was and is so massively successful because 
we'll talk about later its future it, it it's it's a movement it's not just uh it's not just an event um the next one is purpose quotient and i'm always interested with leaders what gives their life meaning and purpose so you you clearly have quite a lot of meaning and purpose in, in certainly what you're doing with right for unity but if you came across somebody else an entrepreneur whatever and they seem to be a bit aimless and they didn't have much meaning and purpose what advice would you give them to to really get grab hold of a sense of what gives their life meaning and purpose and their and their business for example i think that you know trying to tell someone else what their meaning and purpose should be is not not our job you know people have to find their own meaning and purpose that's for sure um but generally when when people are struggling to think you know what do i want in life what, what am i trying to achieve in life and um I, I try and break it down into, you know, people say, I, I want to be successful. And I often relate that to financial success. Uh, I want to be happy, I want to be healthy, etc. And that's all great. I think that at the end of the day, what we're all really looking for is to live some sort of significance in our lives. Um, and that's a big word, you know, having significant life. What does that even mean? And when I challenge people to try and give me examples of what that means to be significant, it's very difficult to consider having a significant life if it's not impacting another person in a positive manner. It always goes back to impacting other people in a positive manner. Uh, and that doesn't have to be philanthropic, by the way. You've got um, high-tech entrepreneurs who are creating a new way to do something, which is improving people's lives. You know, so having some sort of significance, I think, is the is the direction that I would want everyone to think about. And not everyone has the the privilege to even be able to chase a significant life. You know, you've got people who are just struggling to even stay alive, of course. So, you know, they're, they're just in a fight for survival. But if you're in a certain position, and I thought about this a lot, where you feel like, okay, I'm I'm making do, I'm getting by, or or better, then you've almost got a responsibility, I think, to turn your life from that level or even a life of great success into a life of significance. And then you become totally enriched by everything you're doing. And um, I think we've discussed this before, but you, you do apply the it's a little triangle that we talked about before, and you've applied this the the bottom level of the of the pyramid, as it were, if you can imagine the Egyptian pyramid. The bottom slice is a life of survival, and many people live in just a life surviving, just getting by from day to day, with no future vision, and really just it's a struggle. Uh, and they see it as a struggle and they make it a struggle. And then those who move on to a life of success, getting what they want. But as you say, the top of the pyramid is a life of significance where you are making a difference to the lives of others. And, and that you have back to your sense of spiritual spirituality, values, purpose. So it's meaning, values, purpose and leaving a legacy, leaving things better than you found them, which is the, the top three elements of the Inspire Leadership Compass which is why when you took us into the Ismaili Center, so we began in the Ismaili Center and then we ended in the house of a, uh, the Abrahamic house where there was a, a church we went to and then a synagogue and then a mosque all on the same patch in Abu Dhabi. Just so powerful to begin that way and end that way. But, but in a Muslim arch, there's the keystones and, and that is the, the moral quotient, the true north, what gives your life meaning purpose and the legacy, those three, um, as Lee described when she gave her her um, her keynote was so important. Uh, thank you for that. And then uh, we just got a short bit of time left, but 
health quotient. Um, you know, there you are looking lean, mean fighting machine. And, you know, you've been cycling and you slipped out. Still, you slipped yeah. out and, and, and do tell us, how did you break your wrist, Daniel? What, was, what did you do to tell us? To come oh, on. Do I have to go through this? Yeah, it's we just... do. We do. We have to go through this. We have to go through it's this. pathetic. It really part was. of the humility. This is part of the humility. Yeah. So, I mean, I wish it was some high speed accident, whatever. Well, actually, I don't because it would have been a hell of a lot worse than that. But it. It was like off my bike, falling off my bike um, at zero kilometers an hour uh, because like an idiot, I couldn't be bothered to take my cleat and disconnect from the pedal. Thought I'd be fine. Maybe a little bit of arrogance there thinking, oh, I've got slow bike skills. I'll be fine cycling along at about three kilometers an hour because there are lots of people. And then someone just walked right in past me, forced me to go to zero. And then I was like, oh, and I just like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> falling off like that literally giggling in midair as i'm falling down thinking oh here we go and i didn't expect anything to come of it just when i broke my fall with the wrist as you do intuitively yeah a little break and that was a, a week before ride for unity um and you know what i see it as a real blessing in some ways if my wife said to me she goes i think that this small injury has prevented a much larger one next week that was the first thing she said because she knows how i can be when i'm full of adrenaline and going for it and you know uh, you know forget uh maybe to to be safe <laughs> sometimes yeah. i'm a bit of an adrenaline junkie so so yeah a bit of a blessing in disguise and um uh and it allowed me also to take things in the right in the right speed, uh, not just on the bike, but with the whole event, because the whole thing was so adrenaline infused that it needed me to also stay focused and calm um, to make sure that things were going well. And not that I always succeeded in that. I think you saw me a couple of times I was <laughs> almost losing it because we weren't on time for things. But, uh, you know, it was it was definitely al- allowed me to be better, I think, from that point of view. So. And what is the mantra that you now say to yourself? Be like Faisal. Be like Faisal. Tell them, <laughs> tell them about Faisal. So Faisal Al-Nuaymi, um, I think if I think about who I learned most from uh, during our ride for unity, our seven days, seven Emirates, I think without a doubt, it's Faisal. Without him even realizing how much knowledge he's imparting. You know, just he is one of the most impressive, humble, strong and assertive leaders I've ever come across um he he was such a perfect fit for what we were trying to do even the best fit you know he was such a central uh point of this and and i remember you and i were laughing about this that when things are not going right or when there's a chaos in the air we just have this mantra now be like faisal she's calm collected Still looking at it from an intelligent perspective and not losing your 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 rag, <laughs> you know. And, and be like Faisal, it just resonates in my, uh, it just rings in my ears all the time. Every time something goes wrong, so yeah. yeah no, Faisal, he... I thank him very openly on this podcast. Yeah, lo- lo- lovely guy. And then then also people like Herb with uh, kindness is key, and he was so he was so kind, and the way the kids all gathered around him. Um, let's just in the last couple of questions before the, the last question before we do the two minute top tip. Tell us about what what now, you know, if any highlights come to mind from the ride, but what are you going to do with it now? What's what, what are we going to do next year and beyond that? What, what's your early thoughts? Um, can I ask, Jonathan, did you want to um, talk about resilience? Oh, yes. Let's have a chat about resilience. OK. What, what, there what is something up, I wanted to say about that. <laughs> what what, what about resilience? RQ, resilience, yeah, coping. Um, I, as I say, how have you picked yourself up in times of adversity, Daniel? So um, 
we all face adversity. We all face difficult times. And I've taught myself a specific method for coping through adversity, which has really, really helped me get through some some difficult times. Um, and it goes like this. I call it the the zoom out, zoom in method. So the first thing is, is, is if we assume that life just goes like this, you know, there's peaks and troughs, there's good, there's bad, you know, we have ups and we have downs. We just have to assume that that's how life is. Um, and then when you're going through a very, very difficult time and you feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall and nothing's going right for you, then the first thing you should do is first of all, zoom out so you can have another view of that wave and you understand, okay, so I'm right in that trough. I get it. I get it. But I also get it as part of the bigger picture. So zooming out allows me to calm down saying, okay, I know that it's just a, a period I'm going through. Um, I don't know how I'm going to get out of it, but at least I recognize the fact that I'm in that trough and it's not going to last forever. Then what I need to do to deal with it is what I've taught myself is to then zoom right back in and then say, okay, if I focus on the bleakness, it's just going to get worse. People have this tendency to say, oh, I'm in a, I'm in a terrible period. I'm in a terrible period. And it just makes it worse because they're just surrounding their thoughts with negativity. So I just literally have learned to force myself to ignore anything apart from today. Like I have a mantra that I say to myself, Daniel, just today. I don't think about tomorrow. I don't think about the next day, just today. How do I make today as best as it possibly can be? Because I know that if I do that, then I statistically have a chance, a better chance of making tomorrow slightly better and so on and so forth. So if I have that belief, then just zooming in after I've zoomed out and understood the big picture, zooming in and saying just today and forcing myself to just like not think of the bleakness or anything else that might happen tomorrow or the next day, just today. These are the cards I've got. How do I play them as well as I possibly can just today? And I've noticed that that has been a very, very useful tool to quicker uh, than otherwise you would get out of difficult times. I really love that. It's almost like that's an extra top tip you've given us. Uh, and I would add in a couple of uh, extra techniques that I've learned over the years from different people. Uh, one is the best friend's advice. So if you think about, let's say, um, you know, I'd say to you, Daniel, who's your best friend? And you'd say it might be Johnny. Uh, your friend who you've known in, in, in sport and cricket for years, uh, who came on the ride with us and was a very modest, very humble uh, introvert, but such yeah, a special. He's too, he's too modest and too idiot. He tries to be crowd. Yeah, yeah. The guy's just got so much to him and he goes, no. He's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's the stretch for him. He's just so modest. But let's say, you know, Johnny has the same. So, so you say, imagine that Johnny, your friend, has the same problem. What advice would you give him if if he had exactly the problem you're struggling with now? Write it down. So you'd write it down and then you look at it and I say, take the advice. So you can't give yourself the advice, but you're really good at giving advice to your best mate, Johnny. Uh, and Johnny can equally give good you good advice. So that's one uh, to help you with resilience and, and give you that perspective uh, as you talk about zoom out, zoom in, but a, a third person. And and the, the second one is called 10, 10, 10 which is the perspective of time. And as we get very agitated about a situation, how important will this be in 10 weeks time, in 10 months time, and in 10 years time? And you write down how important it will be. And many of the time, certainly when you get to just 10 months, you probably won't even be thinking about it ever again. I, I think of some of the things which agitated me and got me quite depressed and things, you know, four or five years ago. And here I am, I'm four years on from it. It's not even... It's not even registered on my life. I don't think about it. But at the time, it was all absorbing. So 10, 10, 10. 
Um, you know, that, that reminds me of something that Lee said, um, where she helped me out uh, in the middle of my community. There was something that happened, which I won't go into here, um, which bothered me um, uh, with the, you know, something that was going on with our um, uh, our invites, our permits, etc. And it, it was bothering me because I was blocked by something I wanted to do. And Lee just, first of all, she noticed that something was bothering me, which is, you know, a first you know, thing I'm grateful for. She came over to me, goes, Dan, is everything okay? I was like, ah, can I just, you know, dump this on you? I just want to tell you. She goes, sure. So I told her what happened. And I said, this doesn't work for me because of this. And she then um, reflected back to me the concept of time about how you're right and it's frustrating, but everything has to be at the right time. And it was, you know, again, without going into it, it was just, it managed to calm me down to understand that, yes, that's fine, you know? And so, yeah, that's, I don't know whether I got the chance to find No, I, I remember, I remember the two of you having that discussion. I was privileged to, to sort of be a, a bystander. I thought, you know, you both handled it incredibly well. And she, she is very intuitive, I think somatic, where she picks up how people are feeling uh, in the soma, as they say. And, and, uh, and she therefore calls it out and just goes, is everything okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. No, no, is everything really okay? Um, so the future, what's the future going to be of uh, Rife Unity, Seven Days, Seven Emirates? What's your thoughts? So we always said before, so if this goes well, and what does it mean to go well? And, you know, I'm always pretty self-critical. Goes well means we don't just cycle around, have a good laugh and take lots of pictures. We actually feel that we've created a difference to people's lives. And without a doubt, we did. You know, it's hard to put metrics on it, but we did. We definitely did that. And so it went well. We had a great group of people to do this with. And now what? And like you said, I, I, I've also started using the word movement rather than event, because I think that it's, it explains more about what we're trying to achieve here. And the, to turn this into a proper movement means we've got to have now multiple events. And we're already planning next year's return to the UAE. And we're thinking already about maybe having branches off for Ride for Unity events in other territories as well, even though we see the UAE as our headquarters. Um, but what's so important to get right is that we don't, you know, I say in business as well, is like strategies up for discussion all the time. You know, uh, the operations up for discussion, how we do things is everything, but our why has to stay the same. And we've got to be very, very focused that the, the core values and why we did this at the beginning remain there and then, how we do it, where we do it, everything's flexible. But these values are not up for discussion. These values and the human nature of this event has have to be adhered to to attain the integrity of it. And that way, we're going to make sure that we get similar people on that we've had now. You know, obviously, everyone is welcome back, and we've got to make sure that we, if we expand the group, it's it's with a similar vibe. That even if people are amazing leaders in their own right, they are putting the mission ahead of everything. Just like in every good business, um, by the way, uh, or every good partnership. There's a, the best litmus test of partnerships, by the way, is the priority level. You know, most business partnerships, people think first and foremost about themselves. What do I get out of this partnership? And then they think about the business and maybe they'll think about their partner. And, and I see that happening all the time. The best and most successful business partnerships are where uh, the individuals think first about the business, what's best for the business, first of all. Then they think what's best for my partner. And then they think what's best for me. And when that's the case, everyone is aligned and pulling in the same direction. And so when it comes to the right for unity, obviously I, I translate everything back to a business mentality because that's where I'm coming from, but it's the same. If everyone who's involved thinks, how do we um, promote the vision first and foremost, 
how do we help each other to promote that vision? And then what do I get out of it? Last of all, that's when the magic happens. Fantastic. Beautifully put. So let's um, do the final two minute top tip. So, Daniel, would you introduce, uh, mention who you are, um, say what you do day to day, but particularly that this talk has been about Ride for Unity, a little gem of an idea that you brought to fruition with a great team. And, and what your practical top leadership tip would be to those out there that's helped you. So my name is Daniel Bernard. I'm a sports industry investor and entrepreneur. And my tip for leadership is as follows. My thoughts on leadership have evolved a lot over the last few years. And I think that where I see it now is that instead of being at the front or some sort of commander where everyone follows you and you take them wherever you think is right for them, I've started to develop this thinking that you should be more of a shepherd. You need to be at the back to guide people and let them lead themselves into a future that's right for them because we don't really know what everyone is supposed to be, what they're supposed to become. But if we can use our experience our knowledge, our wisdom, if we've got it, to help guide them in the right direction, then they will find the best future for them. And I think I've come to feel that that is what leadership is really all about. And you need to be the shepherd that people need rather than the commander that they think they want. Be the Be shepherd. Beautifully put. Daniel, as always, a real honor and a privilege uh, to be part of your Rife Unity team, to, to be a a friend of yours and for my wife and I to get to know your family and, and vice versa. But thank you for being on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and a privilege as always.